It's Monday, September 21st, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Donald Trump promised to nominate a woman to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, and Mitch McConnell has vowed to put Trump's nominee on the floor of the Senate for a vote. Wow, if Brett Kavanaugh hears that there might be a woman on the floor someplace, who knows what might happen next? Act Blue, the website that collects donations for Democratic candidates and causes, received over $100 million in donations in the wake of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death last Friday. This solidifies the comparison between the notorious RBG and the notorious BIG, because just like Biggie said, more money means more problems for Donald Trump. Lindsey Graham is taking a lot of criticism for reneging on his promise not to support a Supreme Court nomination in the last few months of Trump's term. Although it's frustrating, no one should be shocked that Lindsey would turn his back on a promise, considering doing anything from behind is clearly Lindsey's preference. Amy Coney Barrett, an appeals court judge and mother of seven, is considered to be the front runner to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. Wow, with that many kids, how's she going to find the time to overthrow our democracy? A woman in Texas allegedly mailed an envelope of the deadly toxin ricin to Donald Trump at the White House. See, you guys were worried that the Postal Service might negatively affect the election. Not this weekend, it didn't. Today is World Peace Day, and to honor it, the Justice Department has decided to label New York, Seattle, and Portland anarchist jurisdictions. Uh, Leaving the bill bar to prove on a day celebrating world peace that he can still show us what a world-class piece of he is. The TikTok ban has been delayed thanks to a potential last-minute deal with Walmart. This might seem ironic since TikTok is mostly being used now to shame people in Walmarts who refuse to wear a mask. Zendaya became the youngest actress to win an Emmy in the Best Drama category, which is crazy because at 24 years old, she's just a year or two away from only being offered middle-aged mom roles in Hollywood. Prior to the start of her 18th season premiere, Ellen DeGeneres apologized for the toxic work environment, which has been well documented all summer, saying, quote, things happened here that never should have. Hopefully, people will accept her apology and the controversy will come to an end. If not, Ellen will torture them, threaten their careers, and make sure they never work in this town again. Oh, and stop looking her in the eyes like that. You got it? Speaking of premieres, The Masked Singer begins a new season this week. The popular Fox show might have a harder time reaching an audience this year as so many Fox viewers are against anyone wearing a mask. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new week of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello, and as always, I'm joined by some of my TMI Hollywood family. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by the co-founders of the organization Invisible Hands. It's a wonderful organization, and we can't wait to talk to them and share it with all our viewers and listeners. Okay, let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or their streaming service of their choice. Let's start with you, Pete. Hey, I've thought long and hard about this, and I'm planning on cursing a lot today. 
<laughs> Joe? Hi, everyone on Google Podcasts and all the other podcasts and everyone here on Zoom. Happy Monday. Hey, if you want to collab, get a hold of me at Bento Box at Instagram. Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, I'm also on social media. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> Matt? Uh, hi, Matthew Marcy. Got my... Uh... <laughs> okay. Sarah? <laughs> I thought you were going to He's not getting any collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting shit. You don't want anybody to collaborate any, uh, with you? What's wrong any, with you? Um, <laughs> so, so any like uh, marijuana dispensaries that want to collab with Matt, uh, yeah. you can get a hold of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Hi, it's so nice to be back. Jump on. Talk to you guys. Emma. Hey, everyone. Didn't actually say it last Friday, so Lashna uh, Tova and Bachaz Lacha. That means Happy New Year and Boy. good luck. <laughs> And Chris. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm here to be the token British person for the uh, for the evening. Yay, we love British people. <laughs> Yay. So if anybody wants to talk tea and crumpets with me, you can find me at that Chris O'Neill on Instagram. <laughs> okay, so let's get started. Literally minutes before our show on Friday, it was announced that Supreme Court Justice and American icon Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. During the show, we did take a few minutes to pay tribute to Justice Ginsburg. Does anyone who wasn't here on Friday want to say anything or would any of our Friday panelists like to add anything new about RBG's passing? Uh, Pete? Uh, I, I mean, I don't really have anything new to add other than just if you, if you saw the outpouring of emotion from, from people it, over the weekend, it's just amazing. Like, like if you see the images outside the Supreme Court of the, all the flowers and the candles and the cards and just people there, you you gotta wonder how how somebody who is a a, a judge um, could have this much this much love um, from so many people. I mean, I don't even think Judge Judy would would get this this much. I mean, she might, but probably not. But uh, probably you know, not. <laughs> it just says a lot. It says a lot about about her and about just the legacy that she that she's left. Okay. Anybody else want to add something, Matt? Yeah, she was like the Betty White of the Supreme Court. You know, everybody wanted her to live as long as possible. And mm -hmm. uh, it's really just not just unfortunate. It's just <clears throat> scary that she's gone. And uh, very few people that like when they're gone, you're actually scared for the future. And she's one of them for me. And the fact that Mitch McConnell and Trump just turned around, like literally Mitch came in less than an hour after the news to declare that he was going to fill the seat and pretty much said, screw whatever, you know, her last wish was. Yeah. Sarah? Um, I don't know if it was mentioned on Friday, um, but especially since Emma's re-acknowledging Rosh Hashanah, um, but there was a something going around that acknowledged that, you know, she was the first female Jewish uh, woman on the Supreme Court. Um, so sorry if this was already said on Friday, but there's, um, it's noted that when somebody passes away on Rosh Hashanah, which is the high holy day of the new year, um, it means they're a very righteous person, that, that God respects them very much. So it just says a lot. I mean, that alone touched me as a Jewish woman. Um, and it's very sad for a lot of rights out there. And she really did a lot for social justice issues and um, it's just a, it's a loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just want to add something to that, Sarah. You know, I was thinking a lot about her all weekend. And I remember um, hearing an interview that she did once years ago. 
And she always spoke about what a proud Jewish woman she was, but she also talked about the issues she had with the segregation in Orthodox tradition. And I remember her telling a story about going to a bar mitzvah once and seeing how the women were seated separately, you know, from the men. So I think like for me, it's not just everything she, she achieved, you know, as a justice, but what she achieved prior to being a justice. You know, I mean, you know, having a, a you know, a 14 month old baby while she was going to law school, you know, being one of, I think it was nine women out of 500, you know, at, at the law school. So to me, it goes, it's beyond that. It goes back to, you know, what she was able to accomplish in her, her entire life. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Elizabeth, I think you wanted to say something too. Uh, yeah, just um, people pointed it out and I'm sure we'll get into it. It's, it's crazy that so much of what we think and hope is holding things together was on the shoulders of one person. Mm -hmm. And that's not a great system. And then also that same night we had an earthquake here in LA. And if that didn't feel like borderline end of the world, oof, I don't know, I don't know what did. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also if you guys have never seen um, the Stephen Colbert, when she was, when she, he did a segment with her about two years ago, YouTube it. It's great. Um, he goes and works out with her and it'll just make you laugh. And it is so funny. And I just remembered that. And I think I, somebody posted it today and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. But I remember when I first saw it and I just thought it was so great. So if you haven't seen it, you know, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on, uh, on Stephen Colbert, uh, YouTube it. Yes, Sarah. Um, and Kate McKinnon does a great sketch on Saturday Night Live of her workout as well. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, if, it's a, I think it's hysterical, so it's one to check out. I think we'll see a lot of uh, Halloween costumes uh, in areas that Halloween is allowed this year of uh, RBG. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, Joe. I, that also tells you, though, how she was different than the other justices in our social conscious, in our social, in, you know, America. Like, everybody knew, like, if you said, name a Supreme Court justice, that's the one that they said. But, you know, like, she's doing comedy sketches she has no problem with that you know people will dress up as her uh i mean that's how deep she ran with america here and i think that that's 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 important too i mean that's 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 just as big of a loss of what a kind of an influence she was um not just as a supreme court justice but just as as a person as an icon yeah, yeah. okay so at the time of the show on friday we decided to leave the politics out of our conversation until today so how is the politics of this shaping up since Friday? Donald Trump wants to see someone confirmed to the court before the election. Why do you think that this is, and what do you think the chances of it happening are gonna be? Um, let's start with you, Elizabeth, and then I'll go to Pete afterwards. Oh, because even if he's voted out, he still wields power over what happens in America as do the, the Republicans. Um, you know, it's hard because like, it feels crazy that again like nine people decide they're not the only ones who decide but if something's challenged then that comes down to like nine people and if it's almost like if you're lucky you you got the right set of people that'll be on your side a lot of people have shared the the quote you know if you if how you live has been decided by a supreme court case then or if how you live has not been decided by a Supreme Court case, then you're privileged. You're you're pretty 
lucky. Yeah, I've seen that going around. Being a woman, being black, being a person of color, Native American, Mm -hmm. being gay, you know, all those able, disabled, all those things. Um, And it's, uh, and he's gonna, they're absolutely gonna try to ram it through because they're fucking hypocrites who wouldn't let Obama do it when he was on his way out, but they have to now. And, uh, and the whole, I'm also thrown off today by the whole anarchist jurisdictions, which I know is like a whole other conversation, but yeah. that all is just really, really putting me on a very stressed out edge with like, they're, they're fucking coming for people and we're, we're not prepared, I don't think. Okay, Pete? Well, I, I mean, I think the most obvious reason why Trump wants to, to have somebody on the court before the election is because in his fucked up mind, he, he, he feels like if, if this thing gets contested in the courts after the election, well, he just put somebody on the court. Now, a normal jurist would, would recuse themselves because it would, number one, be such a conflict of interest that two weeks before the election or a week before the election, they get put on this court and then they're the deciding vote in, you know, in allowing him to be president for another four years. But he doesn't think that way because obviously in his mind, every every vote, you know, every person is, is, is can be bought out in some way. So, I mean, I think that's obviously the, the, the reason why he wants it beforehand. That being said, it's not going to happen before before the election. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's so close to impossible to happen before the election it, that that it would take it would take basically them saying we're giving up on the Senate um, next year to do it because two of the main people in the Senate judiciary are both in really tough elections right now. Lindsey Graham being one of them because um, he's the one heading the, the, the judiciary that has to actually put together all of the, uh, the hearings and then obviously when they do the hearings on the floor of the Senate. And the last thing he wants to be doing is being stuck in Washington um, for two or three weeks when he, when Jamie Harrison, the guy running against him, was now polling about equal with him, is is in South Carolina every day talking to voters, showing videos of Lindsey Graham saying over and over again that he wouldn't vote for somebody in you know the late part of uh, Trump's term. So they're never going to vote before the election. It, what they're going to do is they're going to do everything but the the hearing process before the election. And then try to ram somebody through after after you know whatever happens. Either way, it's 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 just really ugly business. And and you know the only thing that that you got to hope for at this point is that Democrats aren't the gigantic pussies that they usually are when it comes to, to handling this. And they should be as big motherfuckers to the to the Republicans as the as the Republicans have been to them. And if they do anything short of not threatening, you know, to stack the court, not threatening to get rid of filibusters not threatening to make Washington, D.C. And, and Puerto Rico states if they have a majority, then they're fucked because, because those things are all on the table and they could, and they could por- force all these issues you know, into the American public and then cause people to actually come back and say, you know, this really would be bad if, they, if the Republicans do this now because look at what the Democrats will do back to them right after January. Okay, Emma? Uh, yeah, no, Peter covered a lot of what I was thinking, uh, which is it would, it's not impossible for them to do it before the election. I understand why Trump would want that, because if there's anyone who understands the value of having a tr- uh, judge who's on your side, it would be Donald Trump. Uh, but I think it's it's extremely difficult, especially considering how many races are still too close in the Senate, uh, especially for people like Susan Collins, her, like her constituents don't want that. Um, 
in the lame duck session, though, anything goes, especially if they've already lost the Senate. Like if they know that they're not going to get it anyway, then their whole MO is going to be just do as much damage as they possibly can, do whatever they can do to like put their ideas forward now and to like force it in. And, uh, you know, I definitely I don't think Joe Biden is going to get to choose the next Supreme Court justice. I do think the Democrats would very seriously consider expanding the court afterwards. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that it has to be nine justices uh, and getting rid of the filibuster so that, you know, it's difficult for them to pull a Merrick Garland again. Mm-hmm. OK, Matt. Yeah, and I, uh, all a lot of points that I was going to point out, too. I mean, um, Trump, Trump understands more than any other president how important it is to have a biased judge. Um, all the way up from the Supreme Court, all the way down to your neighboring, you know, courts. And he's been one of the only presidents that I've, I've, I've known uh, that are actually like will tweet in support of a judge because they know that they, they're far right. And, and he's also completely af- afraid of one going to jail if he doesn't get reelected. So, you know, all the judges in his favor are only going to help him. And strategically, it wouldn't really make sense for him to try to push um, a judge to be it wouldn't make sense for the Senate either, like Peter pointed out, because if they try to push it before the election, it might just really upset a lot of people the wrong way. I think they're going to use it more as an energizer, energizer, kind of like um, uh, Biden with his VP pick. He's, just, he's Trump's going to throw out a name and it's going to energize his base even more. And that's how he's going to do it, because even if he loses, he can he is still going to be able to push what whoever gets thrown out there into the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you know what the the problem is, anybody who anybody who really cared about the Supreme Court, and they always say Republicans always care about Supreme Court seats more than Democrats. Anybody who cared about a Supreme Court seat already had it in their head that that a week after the election, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was gonna was gonna retire. So so her dying, it didn't really change the the metric for Republicans. In fact, actually, a poll came out this morning. Um, two different polls came out. One poll came out saying that 62% of Americans say that the next president, whoever that should be, should choose who the who the uh, Supreme Court justice is. But another poll, which is prob- which probably concerned Republicans even more, came out um, from I think it was I think it was uh, Reuters, but I could be wrong on that. Um, Saying that 56% of Democrats are more are interested in in who the uh, uh, in who the next um, Supreme Court justice is, only 44% of, de- of Republicans were. So it's it, you know there is no benefit to, to Trump to push a name out there, you know, other than the fact that he thinks again that he can try and you know he could try and still install somebody before the election and then they're going to help him steal it at the end and that's just not possible and you know they can't they, there, there would be an uprising like like you've never seen before if this if this judge were to were to get on the court and then be a, a deciding vote in in actually allowing him to have another term because it would be literally within days of the election that this would have to happen mm-hmm. and that's and that's that's i mean that's that's dictatorship that's that goes beyond you oh know, yeah, and he's never done anything like that before. No, no, I know. I see. I know he has, but I don't think that even the Republicans, as fucked as they all are, would would let it go that far. Because I think at some point you really? damage the whole entire country if if that happens. So I think he wants that to happen, but I don't think they'll allow it. I think they'll I think they'll wait until after the election and try to dangle the the the, the person out there because they think it's going to be the best thing for them. And as far as him, the whoever the next justice is, keeping him out of jail. 
That's not going to happen either because it's state courts that that are that are going after him right now, and and the Supreme Court justice will not will not weigh in on a state issue, and so it's not it's 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 he's fucked if he doesn't win this election. He you the only thing more orange than his face is going to be the suit he's wearing in about a year. Trust me when I I mean that's New York cannot wait to do this. Well, I love your optimism, but uh... let me get to Sarah because she's been waiting. And then I want to get to um, some of the people that he's considering too. Um, go ahead, Sarah. Um, I just, it's just so unfortunate that, you know, after such a great woman passes so quickly, they jump on the bandwagon, which I get in some sense, because it's part of their job is to reach their agendas. But, you know, she made the statement on her deathbed that she like her dying wish was that, you know, they would wait until after the election and already Trump has come out on Fox and friends and said, Oh, I don't think she said that it's a, the, the Democrats are making it up. It's gotta be shifty shift and, you know, Schumer and, and, you know, all these people and Pelosi. And it's just, it's just, it's sad for humanity that like we're even in 2020 still having a conversation about, putting people in the highest court that are going to take away rights of people, you know, that, you know, fortunately for myself, I'm not a person of color. I'm not a member of the LGBT, et cetera, community, but I completely support those communities. And it hurts me to think that my friends and, and, you know, maybe people in my family even are, are going to be affected by this change. And I just, I have a question too, actually, has there ever been a Supreme court, in the history of America that hasn't been like so biased on their issues. Like if you have a jury in a regular court, you get vetted by the, by the lawyers so that you're not swaying one way or the other. Why does our Supreme court not speak for it? Like, why are they so separated in their issues? This, I, that might be a really naive, stupid question, but no, it's not I can kind of speak to that only because I read about it this morning. Um, <laughs> It seems like prior to prior to Clarence Thomas, there was there was always a push to try and put judges on the court that were more close to the ideology of the of, of the ruling party. But it was never as partisan. And and after what happened with with Clarence Thomas, you had you had um, you had uh, Bork, who was who was uh, another Republican nominee, who was one of the, who was the guy who actually for Nixon fired um, fired the uh, the um, the Attorney General of the United States, and he couldn't get um, he couldn't get confirmed because of the fact that this was kind of payback for Nixon. Um, but but it was but they say that that um, that Clarence Thomas's um, confirmation hearing. Began the, the the really hyper partisanship of of the of the Supreme Court after that because after after what they went through with him, both sides kind of dug in and said, you know what, you're you know you bring a knife, I'm bringing a gun kind of kind of mentality, and that's where it all changed. Okay, so Trump said that he plans to announce his nomination on either Friday or Saturday. It's widely assumed that the nominee comes down to two female judges. Amy Coney Barrett and Barbara Lagoa. Do any of you know much about either woman? Pete. Uh, so I'm sorry that I'm like monopolizing the time, but I, I did a lot of reading on this stuff today. Um, 
there's there's two trains of thought here, and 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 I'll, I'll actually I'll actually put it out to everybody else to kind of tell me which one Trump is going to go with. You've got this Amy Coney uh, Coney Barrett, who's been kind of on the sidelines, waiting to get called for the last two um, appointments because she was she was one of their top picks before Gorsuch, um, and that didn't happen. And then they thought she was going to be the pick before Brett Kavanaugh. In fact. Uh, the Federal Society, who actually, who make more or less runs our country, because the Federal Society and a guy named Leonard Leo um, are the people that pick the Supreme Court nominees and then give it to the to the Republicans. Um, they were pushing for her over over um, Kavanaugh because they knew that Kavanaugh had some issues in his past that might come up. Strangely enough, they did. Um, and when it comes to her. If you're talking about some if them trying to find somebody that is so completely ideologically different from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they could not have found somebody better than her. Um, she she clerked under Scalia, so she basically learned learned how to do what she does from from probably the most partisan judge in in the last fifty years. Um, she uh, she went to Notre Dame. Um, she and, and she did a, she did a speech at one of the commencements a few years back where she told the law students there that the practice of law was 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 only a sideline to, um, to to doing what God wants you to do. Um, she's part of a group called People People of Praise. Now this is this is now like. For is anybody it, young, is it people of praise or praise the people? No, it's pre- people of praise. Okay, because um, I was reading up on that earlier. Yeah, um, if anybody young, any young people who are still kind of on the fence about voting, look up people of praise. Now, now just so you understand who they are, in 1986, Margaret Atwood, who who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, um, told an interviewer that she got the idea after after um, seeing seeing one of their prayer sessions um, because. They, the women are, 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 have to swear um, to be obedient to their husbands and do whatever their husbands tell them to do. Um, they, they take some things from, Pente- from the Pentecostal faith, so some of the people speak in tongues. Um, and, and they just have a very hardline religious view of everything. Um, so that's who, and, and, and now as far as, as far as like her, her views on abortion, the only thing we're kind of lucky about is that she has said multiple times and also in some of her rulings that she doesn't think that, that Roe versus Wade as, as, a, um, as, as a federal law is going to be overturned, but she thinks that, that changing it so that states can make their own decisions on what to do with the law should be overturned. So that means like states like California, New York, blue states will always have the right, at least for now, to, to, to still give women you know, um, their, their choice on sure, what to yeah. do with their own body. But red states are, are basically fucked, which is wonderful because guess who's paying for the red states? Now, on the other side is Barbara Lagoa, um, she's Cuban American and she's from, uh, and she's from Florida. And so, and, and seemingly the only person who really wants, who might want her is Trump. And the reason why is you pick a Cuban American from Florida who, who would also be the first Supreme court justice from the state of Florida. He thinks it's going to help him in the election. So can I, can I quickly read what he said about her? I have a quote yeah. from him. So yeah. about this Barbara Lagoa, he said, I've heard incredible things about her. I don't know her. She's Hispanic and highly respected. That's what he 
Yeah. So he, he has no he has no compunctions to actually care what she's done or, or what she said. And in fact, she actually doesn't have a record at all on 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 abortion issues. But she has a really strong um, record on on um, on um, the, the, the power um, uh, government power issues because she was instilled um, to be to the um, to, to the Florida Supreme Court earlier this year by Ron DeSantis. And one of the first things she she uh, um, she signed on uh, uh, signed off on was she was the final vote in making sure that felons couldn't get the right to vote if they hadn't paid their court fees yet, um, and 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 also she she also was in favor of um, um, she she wrote the uh, the, the um, I guess the um, majority rule on on uh, DeSantis having absolute power um, to fire um, he fired a, um, a sheriff. Um, and got sued for it, and she she um, authored the ruling that said that the governor of the state has absolute power to do whatever he wants. So she's really like like strong in that area. Um, so it's pick your poison. Both are both are not great, but I mean, I, let me ask you guys: if it's between a really religious woman and a woman in Florida who's Cuban, which one do you think Trump's going to go with? Anybody? Well, I think, you know, there's an interest in both no. on his part. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll go with the religious woman because he wants to keep appeasing, you know, the religious base. And then yeah. he'll go, oh, he'll go with the one in Florida because he wants that Latino vote in Florida. Yeah. So yeah. I think either one, you know, fits his narrative and, what, and, and ultimately what he wants to do. That's what I think. Joe. I well, it's funny because I've been seeing a lot of backlash. And we talked, I think we talked about this last week about the fact that uh, Joe Biden is Catholic. Um, and you see a lot of the uh, evangelicals talk about that. And yet the last two Supreme Court justices that were appointed uh, are both Catholic. Both of these choices, now uh, one is on an extreme version of it, but both of these choices are Catholic. And if you take a look at the makeup of the Supreme Court right now, with the exception of two people, everybody's Catholic. So I think that that's something to kind of take into I don't know. I really want to, like, I kind of want to take that in the whole thing. I mean, it just seems really weird that there's a whole lot of Catholics involved in this. And then you got to turn around and, and make fun of Joe Biden about it. Um, you know, first of all, one or the other, but Hey, you know, hypocrisy on both sides has been running rampant this year. So I don't want to hear about it, but at the same time, does that concern anybody that the majority of the, of the Supreme court will end up being, like one religion and not necessarily and not necessarily the, the, yeah. the, the, what well catholics in general are the most hypocritical scumbags on earth i'm catholic so i can say that but i mean think about it i mean it's the only it's the only it's the only faith that 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 kid touchers are are readily allowed to keep doing what they're doing and get away with it and, and, and listen i grew up in an area where everybody around me was irish catholics and they were the biggest pieces of shit on earth because they were so wonderful about going to church on sunday and so wonderful the next day of being scumbags about everything else and so Catholics are perfect for the Supreme Court because they have no sense of, of dignity when it comes to, you know, you know what what they say here and how they do this here. So, yeah, you want you, you want to you want a, somebody who will sell themselves out at the, at the drop of a dime. Always get a Catholic. But my, my point is that if you're going to make the criticism of, oh, we can't vote them because they're going to do whatever the pope says. And yet we have almost the entire Supreme Court. Uh, are they doing what the pope says? And then secondly, if you want to kind of know, like like Catholics. 
I know because I grew up too. I went to Catholic high school and all that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say that too bad. But, uh, uh, yeah, Catholics will stay quiet because they just don't want to they don't want to rock the boat, uh, well, you know, if it's something if it's something against the Catholics. So well, I think, you know, something to I'd like to point out. To answer your question, Joe, too, I think, you know, there obviously is supposed to be a separation of church and state. But that seems to have just gone out the window. So this well, is my whole point is that don't now don't criticize really one really and then really like really oh really you know you were happy with the last two judges and you know what this, if you're worried about uh, the religion going into their laws and whatnot that's an even bigger thing about it going into law or whatnot right. than the president is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we actually our guests are waiting to come on, so I'm going to bring them on now, um, and then we'll come back to this if we have time. So mm -hmm. today the coronavirus surpassed two hundred thousand deaths in the U.S. For quite a while now, research has shown that the virus inordinately affects people of color and the poor at much higher rates than any other group. Our guest tonight saw how COVID was affecting our most vulnerable communities in New York City and made an offer on Facebook to pick up groceries for neighbors. Out of that, Invisible Hands was born. It now has over 10,000 volunteers who have delivered over $1 million worth of food medicine and other necessities to people in need in New York City, Long Island, Westchester, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. And they're not stopping there. Please welcome uh, one of our co-founders, um, Liam Elkind. I see you there. Is Simone going to be joining us or is it just you today? Uh, I believe Simone is joining. I can. Okay, I can so right now we have Liam. <laughs> so Liam, thank you so much for coming on TMI Daily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I want to tell you first and foremost how I found out about your organization. So I was watching the news one day. Oh, there's Simone. <laughs> Hi, can you hear me, Simone? Yes, can you hear me? Can you see yeah. me? Perfect. So I was like, I was just telling Liam, um, one day, you know, my husband, Peter, he's on the screen too. Um, him and I were watching the news and we saw an interview with you guys. And considering, you know, all the horrific things that have been happening this year and all the negative news that you see on a daily basis, I was watching what you guys were saying and everything about your organization. And I said, I want to have them on because I want to talk about it. So I know I talked a little bit about it in the introduction, but I want you to tell us how did this idea of invisible hands come about? Um, well, thank you so much for having us. First of all, um, it is a total pleasure to be here and to be talking to you guys. Um, Invisible Hands started entirely by accident, which is not how most organizations start, I would say. Um, essentially, in the middle of March, when we weren't on full like lockdown time yet, but New York was starting to kind of get uh, starting to not, was starting to not feel great. Um, I was just walking home from the subway and I saw past my local supermarket and I saw a lot of elderly folk coming, you know, in and out of the store. And I just remember thinking like, this doesn't feel great. I wish there was a way that I could help get them their groceries or do something so that they could stay inside and stay safe. And so I went home and I just posted a Facebook status asking, does anybody know of a way that young, healthy volunteers, um, could offer to, you know, bring groceries to those who should be staying inside because they're more at risk for COVID. And a lot of my friends reached out and said, you know, I love this idea. I would love to help. I don't know of anything like this, but let us know if you find something. Um, and then Liam, who is the brother of a dear friend of mine who I've known for years and years, um, gave me a call and was like, I saw your Facebook status. You know, uh, what, what are you thinking? What do you want to do? And I was like, you know, I don't know. And we basically put our heads together and said, what if we came up with something? And so we, you know, made the website invisiblehandsdeliver.com. Now it's .org. It's been a long six months, um, but <laughs> we made the website and started taking delivery requests and it kind of blew up. That's amazing. So you have a lot of volunteers now. Um, are you still taking new volunteers? And what are some of the requirements? 
Do you have any requirements that you have? Yeah, Liam, go for it. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. Um, we, we've been really blessed to have just a tremendous outpouring of volunteer support uh, from people who are completing deliveries themselves to people who are volunteering remotely from home uh, in our call center or you know, uh, in our dispatch center to artists who, who design our flyers for us or people who help translate those flyers or doctors who help give us medical advice, really just people bringing whatever expertise and, and time they have to, to this organization, which has been a really beautiful thing to see just people putting their heads together and seeing what they can do to help. In terms of requirements, there's very few. I mean, we don't take on, you know, if you're under 18, we ask that you complete deliveries with a parent there. Um, but beyond that, it's really just anyone who is around and, and has creativity and time on their hands um, is is absolutely welcome in our organization. And, and we're always looking for new volunteers to continue to help us expand and, and grow services and help more people in need. That's great. And I've also been um, reading that you guys want to expand to different areas. How is that process going? Um, it's great. I mean, it's a, obviously COVID is something that is larger than just New York and New Jersey, where we started. Um, we have since expanded to Philadelphia, and we're about to launch our Atlanta chapter. Um, and we're, I mean, we would love to really expand to uh, as, as far and wide as we can. It's all dependent on, you know, having the volunteers to, um, to sort of provide the service, because obviously you don't want to advertise that you're able to do something unless you're really feel confident that you're able to do it. And I think we created a very simple system um, in New York and New Jersey, just sort of on the, on the, on the tech side. And the, the premise of it is very, uh, very simple. So it doesn't require too much, but it does take people, you know, dedicated to making it happen. Um, so yeah, we would love to, we would love to expand. And we also, for people who, you know, don't necessarily live in New York and New Jersey or Philly or Atlanta right now, but are, um, you know, interested in helping out with our current operations. Like Liam said, we have tons of remote volunteering opportunities and people who work in our call center and who help facilitate facilitate the matching process between volunteers and recipients on a team that we call Captain Delivery. They're from all over the place. I mean, one girl who does volunteers almost every day is from Texas. You know, we have, you don't have to be um, in a city that we're actively taking delivery requests, but we are, you know, actively looking to expand to more cities as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, can you guys share like a personal uplifting story of someone that you've met doing this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are truly too many to count. Um, I will say, for me personally, uh, you know, one of my first deliveries was to a woman named Carol, and she was living alone. And I had the opportunity to to deliver some just some groceries to her from across the street. And I, you know, I dutifully dropped them off outside her door, and I was wearing my, you know, all, all the safety protection and stuff. And I, I backed away to six feet, and she came out and she said she picked up the groceries and she said, "Come on in, I, I made you some cookies." And I was like, Carol, I, I can't come in. That's the whole point is, you know, invisible hands. <laughs> She's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Come on in. I made some cookies and tea. I was like, no, no, Carol, that's literally the entire point of this is that we, we're supposed to be distancing from one another. And she said, okay, fine, fine. But after this whole thing is over, you've got to come over for some cookies and tea. And I said, okay, sounds like a, sounds like a deal. Um, and, you know, we've kept in touch since then. Um, and I've learned about her life. She's a, she's a puppeteer and, um, and a Fulbright scholar and just incredible in so many ways. And we've kept in contact over the phone and over email. And it's felt like even in this era where the world is pulling us all apart, we are finding new ways to pull together um, with the recognition that it's only by pulling together that we'll ever pull through. Um, and, you know, even beyond my own personal experiences, you know, you'll see letters of gratitude and thanks from recipients, the city and state over. Um, and I think knowing that they are making a difference is what helps volunteers when they feel scared to go outside um, because they will see the, the impact that it has and they will put back on their masks and they will go outside again because they know it matters. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we got an email from a woman who lived in Michigan 
and her father lived in New York and he had been diagnosed with COVID. He was in his eighties. He lived alone. He used to have a social worker come by, but she wasn't coming by anymore. And he'd been diagnosed with COVID and he had no way of getting food. She didn't know what to do, but she heard about us just like you did. And she put in a request on her website and his volunteer hunter would come to his place every single week and drop off groceries, drop off prescriptions. And then they would just sit on either side of his door and they would talk for, for hours on end about their lives and their fears and their joys. And they became friends. And she said, you know, they never saw each other. They wouldn't have recognized each other if they passed on the street. But there was some connection there that they were able to form with one another through this crazy world that we live in. They, they found each other. And when he died, he said that, you know, this volunteer's help was not in vain because he was able to provide some reassurance and some relief and some comfort in his final days. So that spirit of, of service, I think, is within all of us. And particularly right now, when we are facing one of the worst crises we've ever seen in any of our lives, um, it's on all of us to think about not how can I turn inward and, and help myself, but how can I look outward and be of service to those in my community who need me the most. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's a great story. That's amazing. And so I, I have two final questions. And I'm going to hand it over to the panel, but I actually want to ask my final question now. Um, how can we as a society encourage people, especially young people like yourselves, to be of service to communities? Any advice that you can give young people out there? You know, how, you know, how do you, how do you do this? I think the biggest thing is you do it by not telling yourself that you can't do it. That was a double negative. You do it by telling yourself that you can do it because I think, mm-hmm. you know, neither Liam nor myself nor Healy, who's our third co-founder, um, had any experience in doing any of this or e- even intended to do it. Like I said, it all sort of happened by accident. And I think that it is because we didn't come from a pre-existing sort of indoctrinated system of like, this is how you start a business or a company or, or a nonprofit, or like, mm-hmm. these are the steps you're supposed to take. We didn't know any of that. So we just did what seemed right. And we just did what, you know, we, we, we solved the today problems and we solved the tomorrow problems and like we'd figure everything else as we went. And that's, and we had so much help and so much outpouring of support. I think that like, you know, I'm, when I'm not doing this, I'm an actor and I'm a producer and I'm like, I'm an artist and that is totally my background. Um, I also do a lot of comedy. Like I, this, that is my world. I knew nothing about starting something like this. I just happened to be the person who did it and I had to figure it out. And I think the reality is that when you put yourself out there and you do, you like act on a call to action, the pe- people will come out of the woodwork to help you and also you'll figure it out it's very much like leap and the net will appear and i think that's the biggest piece of advice i can give is that you know i would have said oh i'm not qualified to do this or someone who's done this before there's but like that those people didn't do it we did it and other other people stepped up in amazing ways and i think that like covid has shown so many people coming forward in their communities but just because you didn't go to school for the thing or you don't have the degree or the job experience doesn't mean you don't have the brain for it now, I want to ask you finally about the ballot initiative that you're starting to do. Yeah. Um, why did you feel it was that important uh, during the election to make sure that people's ballots are being delivered? Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you bet. You know, Invisible Hands' mission is to deliver essentials to those in need, right? And that can look like a lot of different things. And just like people need and deserve food and medicine uh, in a crisis, people also deserve the right to vote. And so we realized that our system was very compatible with a ballot delivery system. Um, And we also knew that there were some pretty serious concerns about the efficacy of the USPS in being able to transmit those ballots. 
So we looked into it, you know, and, and into New York and New Jersey state laws. Simone has been an absolute hero in researching those. Um, and so uh, while it is complicated, um, it is it is legal and possible to, to launch that kind of program. And so we felt like similarly to how people were somewhat in a panic about how they would get their necessities in March and April, people are, are feeling nervous about whether or not their ballots will be delivered. And so right. we realized our system would, would work well to ensure that every ballot is delivered and that every voice can be heard. That's amazing. And kudos to you guys for doing that as well. Um, so I want to hand it over to the panel. Does anybody have any questions or anything you want to say? Um, let's start with you, Sarah. Um, I just want to say, like, it's amazing that, you know, people, you know, we talk a lot or I listen a lot on this show. And today we talked about all the negative stuff that's going on in, in the world with politics and all these things. And like, to have such a positive outcome of the coronavirus and quarantines, like, I hope you guys are as proud as, I don't even know you and I feel really proud of you guys. Um, and there's a lot of us from New York on here and I'm from Westchester County. So to know that like there are people helping my friends and family if they need it is just so touching. So um, I know my mom's listening and Liam, your story already made her cry. So like, it's, it's just amazing. Like make sure that you share those stories outside of avenues like this, because I think people need that right now. They need to hear that they're, you know, it's not just people rioting in the streets and fighting, you know, on the hill and, and all the, that stuff. So great job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and I think you're absolutely right that, you know, even beyond the immediate crisis of hunger, there is this deeper hunger that is within all of us right now of social isolation that we just need to know that someone out there cares about us, particularly if we're living by ourselves. Um, but what this experience has shown far beyond the, you know, infrastructural or technocratic problems that we've run into in setting this thing up logistically, you know, we've realized how many people there are who are willing and ready and able to step up and, and be that person. That even all of us sitting by ourselves in our own apartments, wherever we may be, we're not alone. We have each other. And in this crazy landscape in which we now find ourselves, people are finding each other. And there is something in that solidarity and in that service that binds us all together. Mm -hmm. Hi to your mom. I'm sorry that we made you cry. <laughs> <laughs> She's fine. She's fine. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Um, I wanted to ask if, if uh, what you guys have done, which by the way is absolutely fabulous, but if it's changed your outlook on two things, uh, the American government and the American people themselves. Whoa, big question. <laughs> um, I think it's definitely, I mean, I just feel so much more uh, well acquainted with just some of the like bureaucratic and logistical like troubles involved in especially like city government and how hard it can be to like get organized initiatives off the ground. I mean, there was a chunk of time in the very beginning in um, March and April when like 311 was referring people to us because we had thrown together this ad hoc infrastructure and were able to get people food more readily than like the city of New York had established. They have since done an amazing job and like developed a whole kind of like how to feed people program. But I think I have... Um, you know, I think you learn in school that like, you know, you're a kid and then the adults like will do the things that take care of you and we'll set up the systems and like they're the people who know what they're doing. And I think the reality is that no one actually knows what they're doing and everyone's just trying to figure it out. And sometimes being the people to run into the burning building, it's just like, you know, you, you run in and you'll figure it out later. So I think in terms of 
government I've learned also, you know, I don't envy anybody in, in government because I think it's, it's very hard and very bureaucratic to get, you know, to get things done in like a really safe, protected, um, stable way. And we, again, we sort of built the ship or the plane, we say, as we were flying it, like we were building the infrastructure as it was happening because we, you know, went viral and kind of got traction so quickly. Um, but then we, you know, we, we partnered with the city in a lot of ways and a lot of, in a lot of city organizations um, to help kind of give us that infrastructure and, and help us grow and expand. And I mean, and they've been amazing. So, you know, I've learned that um, I think that though it can seem like there is no infrastructure and no one knows what they're doing, people will, you know, kind of jump together to figure it out pretty quickly. In terms of the American people, I mean, nothing has given me, it's so cheesy, but nothing has given me more faith in humanity than this. I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised. I think that New Yorkers get a really bad rep as like, we're cynical, we're too busy. We don't, we all, we're like looking at our phones, like on the subway, just mad at everyone. And this is so the opposite of the experience that I have had with Invisible Hands. And I think, you know, I was in second grade when 9-11 happened. And so I don't, I, I remember my dad worked nearby he's thankfully safe and okay but I, I don't remember it in that much detail but I remember just like the fear and the feeling of like New Yorkers feeling trapped and New Yorkers feeling scared but then New Yorkers feeling like they're for each other and I think you know the people who were in New York during April and felt that fear at like the episode when it was the epicenter of the pandemic you know and then we gathered 10,000 people who went out into the streets and like helped people anyways and helped their neighbors anyways I have never felt more affirmed in like the good of people to and the will of people to show up when uh when times call for it so again I, I can only reiterate what everybody else is saying amazing amazing job you guys are doing um but I, I want to ask when you're doing something as selfless as what you're doing that that does benefit people in the way it, it is is there is is there those outside forces that that they try to politicize what you're doing and how do you and, and how have you been able to kind of keep that out of, of of the organization in a sense have you kind of like kept people from trying to claim you i guess would be the what i'm, <laughs> what I'm asking it's it's a great question uh, i mean we have been called out both by Vice President Biden and by Ivanka Trump. So, you know, if Invisible Hands is able to bridge the political spectrum in that way, <laughs> that's, I think, a good sign. Um, but look, I mean, I think that, you know, a mission of service and of taking care of your community is something that people of all political stripes can can get behind. Um, and, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of anti-factual information out there that makes it very confusing and hard to know what reality is in this moment. But the people who are on the ground and being the most impacted by this disease and the ensuing, uh, you know, economic fallout and unveiling and exacerbation of racial and economic disparities, um, you know, to them it, it matters less who what what the letter next to their candidate's name is, and it matters more who is going to promote uh, a, a country and a community of mutual service and community aid, and whether you believe that that role falls within you know the government's responsibility or within you know charities and community organizations i think everyone agrees that especially right now it's on all of us to to pull together and pull through um and so certainly while you know certain politicians will you know elevate us i i think that that is done less out of a political desire to self-promote honestly and more out of a recognition of the dire crisis in which we find ourselves and a similarly uh, genuine desire to uplift groups and, and people doing this work who, who often, you know, we, we've been around for six months, but there are people and groups who've been working for years 
you know, always out of the spotlight and doing this work because it makes true difference in their communities. Um, and they are motivated by nothing other than that North Star. Elizabeth. Oh, Emma was waiting before we go. Oh, Emma. <laughs> it's fine. We're both ease. It's close enough. Um, first of all, way to go, Native New Yorkers. I love it. I'm going to tell my mother. She's on the Upper West Side, and she will be all over this. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, you guys, like, did this as such a response to COVID specifically, but you've also clearly gotten bigger than I it sounds like you initially imagined when you made a Facebook post about it. Um, do you have any like thoughts or plans for what, like how you're going to keep this going after COVID or are you going to keep it going after COVID? Like what, what is the idea for that? Totally. Yeah. We want to keep it going as long as we possibly can. Um, I mean, I think that the, A, the economic ramifications of COVID are going to be around for a lot longer, unfortunately, than the disease itself. And, you know, COVID did, you know, did a phenomenally, a phenomenal job at, you know, revealing the, and exacerbating deep seated, um, you know, inequalities across racial lines and socioeconomic lines. And, and you know, I think it has unearthed so much that was already um, existing in terms of, you know, inequalities in, uh, you know, everyone's lives, but especially we're seeing it most, you know, in New York as a native New Yorker. And I think, you know, now one in four New Yorkers is food insecure and that's double what it was before COVID. And so we started a few months ago, we started partnering with food pantries, food banks, mutual aid organizations, um, and, uh, you know, churches, synagogues, and other community-based organizations to uh, help bring, help tackle food insecurity and help, um, bring food to people who can't otherwise afford it because you know when we started um systems like fresh direct and instacart and other food delivery systems were so badly overrun you had to wait two weeks to get a fresh direct order those systems have now begun to stabilize but you know people who can't afford groceries will never be able to use something like instacart or something like fresh direct so but we've 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 learned and i've learned i feel like i've gone to 18 different grad schools in the past six months but we've learned so much about sort of the way the food crisis and food deserts um and the poverty crisis in new york works and there actually is a lot of food in the city there's a lot of food banks that like have a lot of food and there's a lot of people who need food and there's this issue in terms of connecting the two and for various different reasons there's you know there's infrastructural problems but getting the food to the people who need it. And we have this volunteer base and, you know, created this service that we've basically um, tried to offer up in, in, in these partnerships with organizations that provide food with people who need food and serve as the delivery people between the two. So that has been, you know, long after COVID is gone, there's always going to be people who need access to, to free food. And like for food banks, you get issues, you know, surrounding dignity and people don't want to be seen waiting in a food pantry line. So there's a whole community of people who actually really need food pantry food, but don't want to go through the psychological traumatizing process of getting it. So you have one of our volunteers go to the food bank, pick it up and bring it to their door. You're now serving people who maybe would not have who would not have um, opted into that food, you know, otherwise. So it's, it's been a very interesting, we've been responding in real time as this whole thing has changed. But I think that the food insecurity piece um, is, is going to be what kind of sustains invisible hands long term, because that's ultimately where the need is. There wasn't a need for the for what we started really before COVID or at least as as badly. And once as we transition to, you know, knock on everything, a post COVID world, that I think is where the biggest need is going to continue to lie. Elizabeth? It's so funny. I had a weirdly similar question to Emma. And it was that uh, I know someone you said you, you know, actor, producer, I'm not sure what you were doing before COVID, Liam, but is like this a career shift or is this just something that you will continue to do in addition to whatever your previous pre-COVID career, I guess? <laughs> 
Sure. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a level of ones you've seen, you cannot unsee. So like, I have seen so much, so much has, so much light has been shed on, as I said, so much of the inequality that exists in New York City and obviously around the country. Um, but just in this specific kind of bureaucratic ways that I've learned, like, have screwed up everything is, I cannot unlearn that and like, go back to, you know, auditioning for like wonderful TV shows that are like great and a lot of fun. But you know, a great off Broadway play isn't going to change the poverty crisis in New York. And, and I and I know that. Um, so for me, it's an, it's an interesting balance of I am I am trying to transition back to a creative career because I spent, you know, I've, I graduated in 2016. And I've spent the past four years really building up that career and having a blast doing that. And that's like, what I want to do with my life. Well, also, but I'm always gonna, like, I'm always gonna be involved with invisible hands. And I'm always gonna, I've, my eyes have been opened in a way like I've had such a hands-on experience with this that I can't ever go back to before I knew about all of this. So I am definitely, you know, I'm dedicating my life, even if it's not my full professional life to continuing to like fight this fight. Um, and, and I will let Liam speak for himself in terms of his journey with this. <laughs> um, well, this all started over my spring break. Uh, I'm a college student um, at Yale. Uh, I would have been a senior now. Um, it, it started as, you know, a spring break project to, you know, deliver groceries to Ethel next door, um, and then very quickly grew into a, a much larger organization than either me or Simone had bargained for. Um, and so, you know, while I didn't set out to start a nonprofit, as Simone said, you know, the need that has been revealed and, and been exacerbated by this disease um, is remarkably uh, prevalent. And so, you know, I, I'm taking this year off of school. Uh, to do invisible hands full time. And, and that has to do with a lot of factors, you know, the experiential value of school and the educational value of school feels pretty significantly diminished right now. Um, and meanwhile, the relative amplification of opportunity for service through invisible hands um, felt so powerful that it, it felt like a dereliction of duty to not continue to do invisible hands. And, you know, I, I certainly plan to get my degree at some point. Um, I, I hope I am able to, to do that while doing this as well. Um, and while I'm not sure what my long-term career path will look like. I'm only 21 years old. Um, I, I do know that it will be in some way linked to, to community or public service. I was going to say, what's your what are you majoring in? Uh, I'm majoring in ethics, politics, and economics. I always say with the hopes of bringing more ethics to our politics and our economics. <laughs> nice. Which I think we could use a little bit more of these days. For sure. I was going to say, you can't, no, you need a lot of that. You can't even maybe, be on campus Maybe you right shouldn't now, take right? a year off. We do need a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I think, he, I think he's doing more out of school than he is in school, frankly. So thank you for, thank you for starting this. It's been the biggest educational project of my, of my life. For sure. Um, so we have time for one more question. Matt, did you have a question? I saw your hand up earlier. Oh, did, can you hear me? Oh, you're I can hear you. I can hear you. No, I was more, my, my, uh, one, uh, thank you for guys what you do. Um, but like my grandma is so paranoid to doing any any type of like uh, new program knee type stuff. Do you have any pointers on on uh, just the elderly or people just who are not computer savvy to get them on board to do something like this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you actually don't have to be computer savvy to um, use our service, which is um, something that you know we uh, are very, I guess, proud of. But we, you know, we have a call center where you can call um, our call center, and you know, within our hours of operation, and you get a real live person who can do all of it um, for you over the phone. Um, okay. I'm happy to give your grandmother or whoever wants it the numbers on our website at invisiblehandsdeliver.org. But um, yeah, you don't need to be able to use a computer. So that they can call us and we will do the computer side for them. 
Yeah, I tried to get her to order something on Amazon, and she did. But she was like, Matt, someone in an unmarked car came up and dropped a package <laughs> off. I promise <laughs> nobody will come up to her in an unmarked car. If it is, it's probably just Liam, and he's probably just saying hi. <laughs> it, it is true, though. And, and building trust within a community is, is incredibly important. And that is why you know, we tried to partner with a lot of organizations that had deep roots in the ground that we didn't have as a four day old organization um, mm -hmm. and, and learn from them, learn about what their communities needed and how we could best be of service to them. And I think it's helpful when it comes from someone like a grandson who can attest to an organization's capacity um, that, that those bonds of trust uh, start to be formed. So yeah, we absolutely yeah. encourage you to call. It's 732-639-1579. Um, tell her, to, you know, and, and she can leave a voicemail if there's no one there, and, but a, a volunteer will be back in touch shortly. And, and that's, that's what we're here for is to be of service however we can. That's great. And we have your information on our screen. So um, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you thank for you having us. It's amazing work and you guys are awesome. You're amazing. And we just can't thank you enough on behalf of everyone, especially if we have, you know, parents who are older, we really do appreciate this. So thank you. Thank you for thank helping us get the word out. This is, this is the best way that we can, that we can help get the word out to the people in need. And so we, we appreciate you having us on and, and amplifying the voices of people who are trying to serve their communities right now. Absolutely. And we're going to be posting a clip of this on our Instagram as well. So if anybody wants more information, they can head on over to our TMI Hollywood Instagram. So thanks again. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Guys. Take Hi care. Guys. Bye. Okay. So I want to go back uh, to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg conversation we were having. We're kind of running a little late tonight. So I just want to go through two more questions. So a new Reuters Ipsos poll came out about this. And in it, 62% of Americans think that the next Supreme Court justice should be appointed by the winner of the November election. Politically, who do you think this is? This open seat helps more in November, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Um, let's start with you, Matt. Trump is going to, Trump is definitely, he has a higher ground. Um, like I said, like, even if he loses, he still has a couple of months to get somebody pushed through and knowing how Trump has his, you know, hands all over the Senate, like he's going to be able to, do whatever he needs to get done until uh, inauguration. Okay, Pete, uh, Pete? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's not gonna be Trump that's, that, that benefits most from this. Uh, I mean, he may get the pick through. I mean, that, that's not, obviously, it's, it's not gonna be that hard for him to do. Mm -hmm. But if anything, this is probably the first time the Democrats, especially like more, more to, the, to the left liberals, are actually thinking about the Supreme Court because going into an election year, it's so rare that, that Democrats even have that as a thought. And because of the fact that it happened so close to the election and because it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg and because, you know, the way this is being handled now is so hypocritical of what, of, of, of what was done in 2016 to, to Obama and Merrick Garland, I cannot imagine that this helps anybody but Biden as far as the election. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think that especially when you're pushing women out there that are staunchly against women's rights, mm -hmm. uh, he, he's already hurt. Trump's already hurting with women as it is. I, I can't I can't see that this doesn't make it even worse for him. But, you know, like anything else, things just can, can, can go sideways a million different ways. But, um, yeah, I just I, I can't see it helping Trump at all. Okay, Elizabeth, and then we'll finish off with Joe. You severely underestimate how much white women love policing other women. Oh. <laughs> I, That's terrible. It's true, joke. though. Fucking prove me wrong, somebody. Come on. No, you're, it's a you're hobby right. for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And 
it's and they like maintaining that status quo at the like risk and or not risk but at you know to their own detriment in in some ways again so many white women voted for trump in 2016 you yeah, gotta watch out not, for him. They're not voting for him. Like, as of right now, they're not committed to voting for him now. And and the problem uh, to me is that, is that over like 70% of the country, more than 70% of the country claims that they think that, that women should have a right, the rights to, to an abortion if they wanted to. So, again, it just, it, it does not, yeah, you're right. There are women that are going to jump all over this, but it's the same people that would have jumped on it anyway without without yeah. her dying because they saw that there was going to be another, the, the opening at some point soon. I just, but I just don't see it. I, I, do, I do hope it helps Biden more because I hope it will push people to vote for him who are like, well, he's not my candidate. I don't really like him for whatever reason. I preferred Bernie. I preferred Warren or whoever. And, and, you know, Biden's not liberal, not the, you know, whatever your issues are with him, I, I hope it, it is, like you said, bringing to light, like, well, again, he may not be perfect, but he could tip things in a way that will help people more in the long run. And that's my frustration, I think, is there's people are not looking at the long haul, they're only looking at, like, four-year chunks, and the Supreme Court, I think, highlights that. Um, but in some ways, I think it kind of evenly matches them because on the flip side, I think there are people who are like, oh, I want to make sure, you know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned or, you know, we can undo gay marriage, th those kind of things uh, that will come out more for Trump now that he has the ability to potentially stack the court. Joe? Mm -hmm. Kind of what Elizabeth Wood says. I think that this actually helps Trump more. And the reason I'll tell you this, why, because you said he was losing women's votes and things like that. But there's always, we, we talked about this on the show too, but there was a lot of conservatives that want to be conservative, but just weren't behind Trump. But now uh, Trump's going to have this power and it's not going to be one judge. Let's, let's, let's all discuss this. It's not going to be one Supreme Court judge. It's going to be two in this next four years. Let's, let's, let's kind of call it what it is. And now you're going to say, hey, listen, maybe we could go through four more years of, uh, of Trump uh, and then he'll be out if we can, for the next 10, 15, 20 years, get our conservative point of view across via the, the Supreme Court. So people that were that conservatives and conservative Republicans, Reagan Republicans, uh, who weren't on board with voting for Trump may now lean that way um, to get that long-term goal. So the whole thing is, are the voters thinking long-term or are they thinking short-term? So I think if you're talking about long-term voters, I think that this helps Trump more than it helps Biden because I think the Democratic Party, the Dem all the Democratic different wings are already kind of united behind Biden. Uh, I don't think that was happening with the Republican Party and this might ha this might do that. Hey, Emma? Uh, I think that most, especially Republicans, they're known for thinking of the Supreme Court all the time, always, anyway. This is not like a new thing. It's not like she died and then they were all like, wait, we can choose another justice. They always know that they can choose another justice with a Republican president. Mm -hmm. So this is not like, this is a not a like a unique thought to them. This is the constant strategy. This is the MO. Uh, I think that they knew that already and still Trump is not getting the numbers that he wanted from before that, even though they had that in mind before she died. Uh, I also think they, uh, yes, you might choose a woman and yes, that might get some white women, but so far the polls don't say that they're gonna vote for, for him. And you guys can say, well, they're not gonna publicly say it, but I can also then say, well, women aren't gonna publicly say they wanna be mermaids, but of course all women wanna be mermaids. 
And like, you can't prove me wrong either. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> you can't prove a negative. Uh, no, I know, but it, I, what you know in your gut. We like had this discussion post show before. Yeah. You can't use what you have in your gut in like an actual debate. I think there's precedent though with 26. That's my thing is I think there's precedent with it. Less, I mean, less than a gut instinct. But I think that we're just looking at the, the availability of the possibility because it did happen four years ago. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily make it more likely to happen. It's just more present in our minds. A lot of analysts are also saying that because this would be the sixth vote, not the fifth vote, it'll have less of a resonance with Republicans than it, than it would have had when it was the fifth vote, when it was the deciding vote. Now this is just kind of like pile on. And yeah, there's going to be people that are going to say, sure, yeah, let's, let, we, we got to, we got to, you know, let's put, let's put 10, you know, nine judges on the Supreme Court. But the problem they're going to have is that, is that if the Democrats do the right thing and they and they craft the argument and they go into that argument with, sure, you can push this nominee through because we are in the minority now, but we win the election, we win the Senate. If those two things happen, we could stack the court with 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 13 judges to have four four liberal judges. We could we could push forward the idea of making Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states. They get they could get rid of the filibuster. And, and the reality of it is is that there are Republicans that do have some concept of, of legacy, and, and I don't know how badly they want to go down a road where they're gonna where, where they're gonna be looking at this and saying to themselves, did I allow the, the whole the whole government to fall into chaos because I did something for Donald Trump? Now, most Republican politicians, sure, will say that because that's who they are. I don't know if if most Republican voters, just because the Republican voters are gonna do that, because clearly they're they're kind of getting peeled off. I mean, look at all the Lincoln Project people and the Republicans against Trump. All those people are are, are actively pushing now, even though Supreme Court justices, by most of the groups, like the guys in the Lincoln Project, they were all staunch Republicans, and they still are. But they, they, they got up this morning, there was already two or three ads out going after Lindsey Graham, going after McConnell, going after Trump, all because of the hypocrisy of this of, of this choice. So I don't, again, I don't see how they could do it. And then going back to the hidden vote over the weekend, um, a report came out that said there's more likely hidden Biden voters than there are tr- hidden Trump voters because some people are afraid to say that they, they support Biden either because they were Bernie Sanders supporters, they were Elizabeth Warren supporters, or maybe they're afraid because they keep getting told that Biden's senile. And so they're not saying it right now. Whereas Trump supporters know what they're getting now. I mean, it's a bill of goods that they've already bought into. So, I mean, again, maybe I'm just being incredibly optimistic, but I just I just don't see this as being that much of a help to them. I just like to point out that most men probably don't want to be mermen. Unless you can be like King Triton, but even then it's like you gotta get shredded up top, man. No, like, no, no, there's a whole, skip leg day. There's a whole there's a whole shrivel thing that we don't even want to talk about. So all I'm saying is that we probably don't want to be mermen. I'd be like be uh, King Triton. I'll be King Triton, but man, I'm gonna give that girl a whooping. <laughs> merman. Okay, so with this conversation that we've had today. We can all agree that this is probably the most important election of our lifetime. So for anyone watching or listening to us, this is my final question. If they're still unsure of if, whether they're going to vote or who they're going to vote for, is there anything you'd like to say to them? Here is your chance. Sarah. Um, I just want to say before you cast your vote, just realize what you're voting for and, and who you're voting for. Um, the 
the person that we vote for is going to make changes that may not affect your life. Kind of going back to what I said earlier in the show, you know, it may not affect your life personally, but think about the people in your life. I'm sure everybody knows somebody that would be affected negatively by having rights taken away. Um, and is, sorry, my cat's getting involved. Um, but, you know, just, just really realize that. And also like, also really learn who your local um, election, who's in your local election, because it can come from the ground up. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really good, good advice. Um, Joe. Well, first two things real quick. One of the things uh, is of course, judges, not just Supreme court judges, all sorts of federal judges going from the local level on mm -hmm. up. Um, those are the kind of people you also have to be, you know, who's going to be appointing them. And that's what's really important about an election. And the second thing, and the thing that really bothers me is because as technology makes the world smaller and smaller and smaller every year, but think about how this country and our people uh, look to the rest of the world and that in turn, how we interact with them. Um, we're going to get to the point where country is not going to matter as much anymore. And, and I'm not saying that as a, I don't like this country. I'm just saying that as we, as the world gets smaller and we all have to work together, um, it, the, the, the country thing is not going to mean as much. And I want you to think about how we look, how we interact and how we are with the rest of the world. Um, Elizabeth? Um, women should really study up on things like how long ago you were allowed to have your own credit card and do things and do things like that because that did not really start till the 70s which is not that long ago and um it's it's something to consider that um you know what i basically you're in a vulnerable position and there's so many people in vulnerable positions and you have to think about how you're vulnerable and how other people are vulnerable and work to to vote for someone who will truly protect not just you but people you know and care about emma and then we'll finish it off with you pete go ahead emma um to the people who aren't sure if they're gonna vote uh someone already mentioned i think it was sarah mentioned like look down ballot joe mentioned look down ballot um even if you think your vote doesn't matter in the presidential election, I disagree. But even if you think that, uh, mm -hmm. there's so many local seats, like so few people vote for city council, it is astounding. You have such a huge influence on your most local elections. And in California, you get to vote on laws. That's what ballot initi initiatives are. Like you have a direct say in government and on laws. Um, so, you know, I know that those are less sexy than the presidential election. But um, like they're all there. You can find out about it on ballotpedia.com. Um, you have such a huge influence that you're just kind of throwing away if you don't vote and you can make such a big difference in your local community. Uh, and as for, you know, people who might vote differently than I would, um, I think I would just point out that I think the American family is stronger for women having more uh, freedom to have like a bank account, a credit card. I think the American family is stronger for knowing that the people in it want to be there. Okay, and Pete. And it's really kind of a simple thing, you, you know. Voting, voting should just be something that people do, no matter no matter who's on the ballot, because of the fact that that so many people had to risk so much to get us here, and and so somebody who says, "Well, I don't want to vote at all," 
it's just to me, it's asinine. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think the only people who, who maybe some of us, you know, in our own personal lives can sway are some of those really far liberal liberal people, the, 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 the Bernie bro type people that's, oh, Biden's not for this and Biden's not for universal health care. And he's not um, he's not for like some of the reforms of the banking industry that, that, that Elizabeth Warren pushed forward. One thing you could definitely say to them is that, look, he may not be for that, but whoever's running beyond him, whether it be Kamala Harris in a few years or whether like they keep saying that AOC is going to be is going to be president one day, which I have no concept of how that could be possible. Um, but let's say she were when you have a Supreme Court that is so stacked against against liberal issues. It doesn't matter what a president puts 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 on the floor to be voted on. It doesn't matter what the Senate votes on. It doesn't matter what the Congress votes on, because all, all somebody has to do is, is create a court case, let it go through the system and get up to the Supreme Court. And everything that you want so desperately that you're so angry right now, you're not going to get in this next four years. You will never get in your lifetime because somebody who's under 50 is about to be nominated to the Supreme Court who will be there for at least the next 30 years. And, and the, the people that are young enough to actually be on the court for a long time are still are way more conservative than, than you can imagine. So think about that. It's not about what happens next year or the year after. It's about what happens for the next three decades. And so if you, that's not a good enough reason to go out and vote for somebody. Listen, if you want to go out and vote for Trump, go out and vote for him. I mean, that's your decision. But don't not vote for Biden because you didn't get your guy in or your woman in. I mean, because it's just your person will eventually get their turn. And when they do, everything that they did can be wiped away in a second by a vote in the Supreme Court, just like Obamacare probably is going to be, you know, with the way things are going right now. You know, and, and that's that's all the only argument you really need to make. Yeah, it's all cause and effect. You know, everything has an effect. So, OK, so with that being said, let's move on to our final segment. So on Friday, we made predictions in the following categories about last night's Emmy telecast. Let's see how we did. OK, so for those of you that were not on on Friday, um, Joe, Pete, uh, Emma and Elizabeth and myself, we made some predictions. So how do you want to do this, Pete? Should I read? Just read each one and then let's let's just see how we Okay, do. so our first prediction was for over under. How many speeches will cause a hate tweet by Monday, which is today? Will it be one or less or one or more? Were there any hate tweets? Does anybody know? I feel like there was zero. I think there was zero. Yeah, everybody was pretty chill. So we all lost that yeah. one. <laughs> From who? From Trump. Oh, I thought it just you just yeah, the question was just hate tweets in general. Oh, I thought. Oh, I thought. I was, I was thinking in terms of Trump when I wrote. Yeah, the, that's what like, I was. Uh, there's all well, you know, that's wholly different. Neither yeah, happened no, no. really, so it doesn't. It's just irrelevant. Neither happened. Okay, <laughs> so no. there you go. Okay, so actually, that's good. not true. There were tweets about Zendaya winning. And that people got it wrong. That upset was like, oh, the, oh that's not her. It was her like speech. A stupid it was, mean tweets. It stupid. was it, it. was if a speech caused a hate tweet, not people with oh, a that's lack right. of, with a lack yeah. of critical fucking. So the actual speech. Okay, <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, so let's move on. The second one um, was since the Emmys are claiming that they're going to have over 100 participants in 10 different countries, will there be at least one technical difficulty that will lead to a commercial break? Um, everybody said yes, except for me and Emma. We said no. 
I didn't watch the whole thing. There wasn't any. They did a great job. They did great. They almost burned down the Staples Center, but other than that, they did great. They didn't cut to commercial. Yeah, they didn't cut to commercial. Okay, so the next one was um, how many, wait, is this the same? um, How many times will Jimmy Kimmel blame technical difficulties on the fact that they are live? But we said there were no technical. Well, he did make a joke at the, in the very early on about everything that goes wrong tonight is going to be because we're live. But but it didn't happen. So oh, but we said, will it be less or more than five times? Um, Elizabeth and Pete, you said more. I said more, yeah. I thought he was going to lean on that crutch real hard because I thought yeah. things were going to go wrong. And uh, <laughs> boy, how wrong I was. Emma, you and I are killing it. <laughs> we are. If only we oh, put no, money. Uh-huh. Okay, good. So. Good job, guys. Okay, the next one was, will someone remotely present a category while holding their pet? All five of us said yes. Did anybody do that? No, nobody not did. really. I saw people with their pets, but not, you know. Yeah, the two I saw most prominently were Helena Bonham Carter had her dog in, like, the opening thing, and then they had Randall Park walk out with an alpaca. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not his pet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, By the way, whoever wrote that part for, um... Was it a Sterling? Was it Sterling K. Brown? Oh, that yeah. was so, oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I, I felt so bad. Not for a good choice. <laughs> that was a poor choice. That was a poor choice. Okay, will someone remotely accept their award while holding a drink? All five of us said yes. And that did happen. That okay, happen. I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I was like, I, I guess. Yeah, the, the Shit's Creek people were all holding drinks. Oh, they, yeah, they were all holding. They, they, they get to do that. Yeah, they get to hang out because they're in Canada. Yeah. Okay, the next one. In order to make a point, will a presenter or winner appear in a mask? All of you said no, except for me and Elizabeth. We said yes. So what was the... I mean, would you count... Again, the Shit's Creek people were very, like, all wearing masks at during their, no. like, dinner thing. But, but, not, I don't think they, but not during a, a speech. They did do a thing about with, um, with the mask. Um, oh, God, it was really early on. It was maybe the first half hour. Where um, somebody came out in a mask, but but it wasn't it wasn't tied right to the uh, to giving away the award, so oh, okay. it's not okay. Yeah. Okay, the next one. Will there be at least one curse bleeped out or aired live? All of us said yes. All five there of was. us. Yes. There was. Yes. There was. Yes. I only watched the second half, so I'm like I have no concept of the first half. Yeah, okay. that, that's what it was. It was in the second half. It was. Okay, um, I must have missed it. <laughs> was it Anthony Anderson's talking about WAP? Well, Somebody they else, him out. Somebody else, else cursed, did. one of the winners cursed, and I can't yeah. remember what they said. I can't remember which winner did yeah. it, though, but yeah. Okay, the next one, the next question was, how many winners will say the word vote in their speech? More or less than 10? We said, I think we all said more. It, it's 10. it's very debatable because it seemed like almost, there was a, like a lot of vote um, in there, but I don't know if it was 10. I didn't yeah. count them. I didn't count I feel like it was close, or people were, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I can't remember. Yeah. It was very close. If it, it was wasn't close. ten, it was it was in that range. Okay. Well, first responders be thanked. All five of us said yes. Did anybody yeah. think? Yeah, they were thanked, and they were also giving away awards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. That was yeah. They were presenters. Yeah. A very classy choice. Yeah. It was very classy. I agree. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, if so, will they be thanked? Oh, more than one. T- okay. Will a winner say something like, considering all of the pain and suffering in the country, I'm a little embarrassed to be accepting this award. We all said yes, at least one person. 
would say that. I don't feel like anyone did. The, no. um, those words. the closest thing was was somebody from Succession. I don't remember if it was the director or or if it was um, or if somebody Jeremy else involved. Was no, because somebody said somebody. No, I don't. I, I, maybe it was Jeremy Strong, but it was. But I, but I remember saying, okay, they didn't exactly say what I did, what, what, what the question was, but they did say in this crazy time to be doing an award show, like, and they kind of backed off of it from there. But I, I mean, don't remember. Remember how said that she said, uh, "It oh, feels okay. a little bit weird to be celebrating right now," or something like that. Yeah. So, I, but I remember it was somebody later on from Succession, I, I, and I can't remember if it was if it was Jerry Strong or if it was the director who said it, like um, who, who got a. Uh, they got the awards pretty close to each other. Okay, the next question was, whose name is most likely to be mentioned at least once? George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, or Ahmaud Arbery? Does it count if they were wearing a shirt that said Breonna? Yeah, the Breonna Taylor shirt was the closest. Yeah, I think that's the closest we got, yeah. Breonna Taylor shirts. Yeah. Yeah, so we all said, um, Joe, you, I think you said George Floyd, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next one, will anyone mention Joe Biden? All five of us said yes. Was he mentioned? Yeah. Nope, not once. I don't think he was, but we all got that one wrong. Um, based on several sites, the following people are expected to be winners on Sunday. Which one of them has the most potential for a cringe-worthy speech? We uh, we asked Laura Linney from Ozark, Mark Ruffalo from I Know This Much Is True, Regina King from Watchmen, Alex Borstein from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Kieran Culkin from Succession, Succession sorry, or Helena Bonham Carter from The Crown. Um, we all said Mark Ruffalo, except for you, Pete. You yeah. said Regina King. For me, the most cringeworthy moment was watching his wife stare at yes. him. Yes, yes. That was weird. I'm sorry. Bless her heart. I mean, she really loves him, and I they, love they let him go on so long. <laughs> and what did I say to you, Veronica, when when they when that was going on on the screen? You said a lot of things while that was going on. In this I said, why don't you ever look at me that way? Yeah, That's I said, I because said. I'm not creepy like that. I would never do that. <laughs> okay. I was just, what I was thinking was, it's going to actually be really interesting when they get divorced in a few years, that that's still going to exist somewhere. <laughs> um, let's see. And I think we had the last question on Monday. Oh, today. Will people be talking about how great this was or how poorly it was done? I actually thought it was good what I saw. Danny online is saying the Emmys were actually really good. What did you guys think? Good? Bad? Good. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it looked great. I thought they did a great job. I, I it, think it actually promotes the Emmys even more because I don't think as many people would be watching, but now... But it actually... The ratings are really good. It's the lowest rated Emmys in history, though. No. So, Chris, what did you think? So that might have hurt it a little bit. Uh, I, would, I was incredibly, incredibly disappointed at the lack of wins for my fellow countrymen. It, it seemed to just be filled with Americans, Canadians. Uh, you know, we, we had the token John Oliver win, uh, which was nice for him. Um, we had a, a little bit for succession, but but we, we didn't really have much else. Hey, there there hey. wasn't much flying of the flag. I was very, very upset. Hey, that's why you got BAFTAs. That's why you got BAFTAs. Don't come here, take our awards. And we give we give half of them to you. <laughs> I mean, you also have like all of our Oscar winners. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we used to have most of your superheroes as well. And uh, I'm sure those days will continue. <laughs> I, I didn't watch the whole thing. Did the crown win anything? No. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I love the crown. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter deserved more. Yeah, I just, that's disappointing. I was also disappointed about um, Bradley Whitford not winning for Handmaid's Tale. He's really good in it. But okay, that's just my, my thoughts. 
Uh, Elizabeth, I think you actually added. Oh yeah, I added the question at the end. Um, how many times will RBG be mentioned? So it's funny because Joe, Pete, and Elizabeth said three times. I said five, and Emma went seven. <laughs> so did anybody like count? She, she only got uh, mentioned in the in memoriam. Actually, she got before they started the actual video of the in memoriam. They mentioned her. No one really mentioned her in a speech, though. I don't think. And they did include Chadwick Boseman at the end of the um, in memoriam, even though he's mostly a, a film guy. But it's good. It was nice. Although they left out um, Nick Cordero, which pissed a lot of people off. Oh, I didn't want to. Didn't Washington kind of allude to uh, to her, though? Like, uh, I thought somebody mentioned her. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so. Yeah. Well, uh, if McKinnon had won, she would have said something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Bye, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.